listen and receive these words of scripture from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I am coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Loving and gracious God, help me today to preach your word, that the words that I have chosen will honor you and speak to your people, that we might know you more and journey in your way. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. A man stood at a metro station in Washington, D.C., one that some of you will know well, L'Enfant Plaza. Anyone? Anyone? He started to play the violin. It was a cold January morning, and he played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. During that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station, most of them, of course, on their way to work. He started playing, and three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds, then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip, A woman threw the money in the till while continuing to keep pace, moving through the space. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him. But the man looked at his watch and eventually realized he was late. He needed to keep going. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy who could not convince his mother to let him stay and listen and watch. She just kept pulling and kept tugging and kept moving him along. And this was true for all of the children without fail. 
In the 45 minutes that the musician played, only six people stopped, even for a moment. About 20 of them gave him money, but continued to walk at their normal pace. He collected $32, and when he finished playing and the silence took over, no one noticed it. No one applauded. There was no recognition. No one knew, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. He played that morning one of the most intricate pieces ever written, with a violin worth 3.5 million dollars. Two days before playing L'Enfant Plaza, Joshua Bell sold out Symphony Hall in Boston, where just a decent seat would cost at least a hundred dollars. This is a real story. Joshua Bell playing incognito in the metro station was organized by the Washington Post magazine in 2007 as part of a social experiment about perception, taste, and priorities of people. The outlines of the project were these: in a commonplace environment at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive? Beauty. Do we stop to appreciate it? If we do not have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the most amazing music ever written, then how many other things are we missing? G.K. Chesterton once said that the world would never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. In other words, there is beautiful music playing all around us, and yet so many of us don't perceive it or don't stop to appreciate it. But there are those who do perceive children. <laughs> It was the children who noticed and wanted to stop and listen to the music in the metro. I once read that adolescents are natural mystics. In childhood, we enter naturally into those realms of spirit that, as adults, we touch only through conscious effort and practice. The world itself is the child's cathedral, the author wrote, and so it may be for us as adults if we can relearn our childlike openness to it. The ancient wisdom in our scriptures today confirm this: a little child will lead them. To be in the present moment with curiosity and wonder. Aware of what is going on in and around us does seem to come naturally for at least many children, and it is also one of the goals of most spiritual paths. For some traditions, it's called mindfulness. In others, practicing the presence of God, and still others, sometimes they just say it's being awake. 
As adults, our relatively long memory and the knowledge of things happening in the world around us and the pressing concerns of making a living or caring for tasks that seem urgent and our concerns about the future, either real or imagined. All of these things can crowd out any space for a pause. To stop and listen to the music. To stop and smell the roses. To truly listen and seek understanding from another human. To notice what is in and around us. There are many spiritual teachers who suggest that we might actually be at peace in our lives, healthy and happy and well, but we miss out on the pure loveliness of that experience because we aren't paying attention. Do you know you're happy if you don't know you're happy? I think of John Lennon's quip, life is what happens when you're busy making other plans. The late Zen Buddhist monk and teacher Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a book entitled Peace is Every Step, in which he says this, quote, the foundation of happiness is mindfulness. The basic condition for being happy is our consciousness of being happy. If we are not aware that we are happy, we are not really happy. When we have a toothache, we know that not having a toothache is a wonderful thing. But when we do not have a toothache, we are still not happy. A non-toothache is very pleasant. <laughs> I just love that. A non-toothache. It's such a good reminder. A non-toothache is very pleasant. Just use that as a mantra when you're having a really rough day. <laughs> It might improve your situation and your outlook. <sighs> There are so many things, he says, that are enjoyable, but when we don't practice mindfulness, we don't appreciate them. When we practice mindfulness, we come to cherish these things and we learn how to protect them. By taking good care of the present moment, we take good care of the future. Working for peace in the future is to work for peace in the present moment. Now, I find the whole toothache example delightful and helpful as we think about practicing being aware, but that last couple of lines is so important because some might think that any spiritual practice that focuses on the present moment is nothing more than navel-gazing, that it's cut off from the work that needs to be done to mend our bruised and broken world to create a better future. But the wisdom in Han's teaching and in the teaching of Jesus is that as we live as people of peace who are awake 
both to what is real in us and what is happening in the world around us, then we are contributing to a world that is more peaceful and awake. Jesus said, he took, he took John the Baptist to a new place. John said, the kingdom has drawn near. Jesus said, the kingdom is now among you. Last Advent, I described that teaching as a portal, like the ones you see on TV and in the movies, that the kingdom is always there, but it's hidden, and all it takes for the portal to be unveiled in that wishy way that it sometimes is, is for us to stay awake and alert to Christ's presence and to receive the grace we're given to perceive that in us and around us, whatever is happening, we can respond peacefully with love, with care, with justice. And we step through that, through that, into the kingdom experience. The portal is always there, but it won't show itself if we choose to snooze or keep staring at our watches and miss it. Or if we respond to situations as impatient, distracted, selfish, fearful jerks. I find stepping into the peaceable kingdom much more manageable when I'm faced with some big challenge, which may sound surprising. But frankly, for me, it's more difficult when I'm trying to wrangle one of those really supposedly helpful pre-lit fake Christmas trees and only half of the tree lights up. I'm just going to say. And then when you have to like untangle the rest of like the, the lights that you have when you've given up on the pre-lit tree, and you go get an, a real tree, and you have to get out the lights that you haven't used for five years, and they're basically one big knot, that's the sort of thing that takes me right on out of the kingdom portal. That's all I'm saying. It's the little stuff that gets me every time. Every time. But if the vision described in Isaiah 35 is what we long for, that they, that is us, will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. If that is what we long for, then the thing we can do every day is to try to live that vision of nonviolence and close relationship with God and with God's way of being. And it means being aware that the seeds of aggression and violence and war begin in human hearts and human minds. When we are mindful of our own pain and fear and seek to be compassionate with ourselves, we begin to recognize that other people also experience pain and fear and are in need of compassion. Without this awareness and this intention, it is easy to join the ranks of those who think that they have to devour or destroy others in order to survive or who lash out because they are unaware of and therefore unable to manage their own emotions. Or who, like some who gathered at the Jordan, so blithely 
waiting to receive John's baptism, those who believe that their tribe or their ancestry, their club card, gives them permission to exclude others, to not take responsibility for their harmful actions, to not change and live differently. But John the baptizer was clear that what matters is not who is in your family tree, but rather what you are doing in the present moment that helps your tree bear good fruit. Are you, as Paul wrote in Romans, striving for the things that bring peace and that build others up? Because repentance, the life change that John preached, is simply about turning from things that do harm and toward God's kingdom, which is love and mercy and justice and peace. John's message is that Christ is drawing near, so prepare your lives to not miss the gift. Pay attention to what needs to get cleared out of your heart and your mind so that you might experience greater peace yourself and then be an instrument of peace in the world. The kingdom is among us wherever God's love is made real. Peaceable kingdom breaks in wherever the stronger ones don't harm the weaker, where the vulnerable aren't taken advantage of, where those seeking to find sanctuary aren't targeted by hate. And we don't have to wait to step into the kingdom of peace and love and wonder and delight. Even in the midst of this bruised and warring world, we can make God's peace and love real. I'll never forget the time I was in the doctor's office. And it was one of those really miserable mornings. You know, the weather was just miserable. And we got into the doctor's office. There were a lot of people in the office and Almost to a person, every person in the office looked fairly miserable. And I was right there with them. And then a mother came in with her little boy, who's maybe around age four. And as she sort of was getting things sorted with whatever appointment she was there for, the child just began walking around the busy waiting room. And he literally walked up to each and every person. And he walked over to them, and he looked in each face with these extraordinary brown eyes, and he smiled. He did it for every person in the room. I watched it happen. One by one, he made his rounds. And the energy in the room shifted and it softened. It was an inbreaking of the peaceable kingdom. It was wonderful. And a little child led the way. Thanks, Peter.